0: So uh, one of my favorite TV shows that Molly and I love to watch is called The Office. Maybe some of you have seen this show. Uh, You know, some some Christians like to quote from Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and I really like to pull my illustrations from The Office. So there's this episode where Michael and Dwight, they're they're two salesmen. Michael's the boss. Uh, Dwight is his faithful assistant. And they had just gone on this unsuccessful sales call. Uh, They're coming back, they're driving back from this, and they're just completely distraught, very frustrated uh, with the way in which the call goes. And as they approach a turn in the road, the GPS in the car says, turn right, turn right. And so what Michael does before he actually gets to the turn is he brings the car to a stop, or not complete stop, but he starts to immediately turn the car right well, Dwight starts to flip out because Michael is driving off the road. He's turning right, he's turning right. And and Dwight is terrified because he sees that he's driving, he's driving through a fence, down a hill, into a lake. And Michael, the whole time, he's, Michael is saying, the machine knows best, the machine knows best. And he just keeps driving, and sure enough, he plunges the car, uh, into the lake, and they have to escape the car. Uh, it's just, it's absolutely silliness. So my question to you this morning is, who are you following? What are the voices that you're listening to? You know, maybe it's a news show. There's this news anchor that you just, you can't miss, uh, you know, when, when this particular anchor uh, comes on. Or maybe there's a blogger who, you love their quick takes on on the news and what's going on right now. Or maybe it's a particular politician or, I don't know, a musician or an athlete, whatever. But what voices are you listening to? Who has the authority to speak into your life? Who's navigating your terms, right? Well, this month, uh, what we're doing is we're preaching through the mission statement of our diocese. Uh, Diocese is a group of churches. I'm delighted that Resurrection Sioux Falls, uh, several of your members are here today. Welcome. Thank you, Father Chris, for coming and bringing a bunch of your folks. Welcome here today. Uh, But a lot of our churches, uh, we rally around this mission. We love to talk about this. Our bishop has charged us to preach about this and teach about this. And the the mission is we are planting a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. Well, last week I preached on revival, preached on how it's the Lord's desire uh, to give you life, to bring new life within us. And then today I'm going to be preaching about the importance of the word. You may have gleaned that from our collect and from the scriptures that we heard today. We're going to be talking about the Bible, the scriptures. We're going to talk about what Paul said in in today's reading, that which has been breathed out by God. Well, some of you who are here today, or most of you who are here today, probably would identify yourself as a as a follower of Jesus. You you love Jesus, uh, or maybe you're here and you're kind of thinking about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe someone dragged you here today, and you're kind of you know holding Jesus at arm's distance. But the thing is, is if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to love His Word. If you follow Jesus, you have to follow His Word. You have to listen to His Word. You can't say you love Jesus and then hate the scriptures. You can't say you love Jesus and then kind of pick the the parts that you love or the parts that you don't love. That's that's not how this works. If you love Jesus, you love his word. You obey his word. In fact, this comes very uh, clear to us in Paul's letter to Timothy. I don't have time to go uh, into all of the pieces of this. But Paul is writing to his spiritual son, and he's saying to him, well, he knows that his ministry is coming to a close. You know, he's, he's getting old. He's not moving around as, as, as good as he used to in the old days. And he wants to impart wisdom to his spiritual son, Timothy. And Paul is especially concerned because there's false teachers among the congregation who Timothy is having to contend with. And Paul tells him two things. He says, mimic my life. Mimic my life. Mimic my patience, my faithfulness. Mimic even my suffering. Because it's a life that that is shaped after Jesus. So mimic my life as I mimic Jesus. And secondly, he says, love the scriptures. Love the scriptures. Soak yourself in the scriptures. In fact, if we were to uh, turn a couple pages back in our Bibles, we would have read earlier when Paul commends Timothy's mother and his grandmother and says, remember what they've taught you. Continue in the scriptures. Be trained in the scriptures. Grow wise in the scriptures. Don't let go of the scriptures, Paul tells Timothy. In other words, he says, if you want a life shaped like God, if you want a life that endures the the attacks of the enemy, then immerse yourself in God's word. And the same holds true for us today, here, now, in 2019. (laughs) If you want to follow Jesus, love his word, love his word. Well, thankfully, the Bible is not a a cranky GPS uh, that wants to plunge you and your friends into the bottom of a lake, but rather, the Bible is God's word written. As the psalmist says, the word of the Lord is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. These are the words of light and of life. So my prayer for you today is that you would love God's word even more. Just like that opening collect of the day that we read, may you hear the word, may you read it, may you mark it, may you learn it, may you inwardly digest it. How beautiful is that? So that you may fall more in love, not just with the scriptures, but the one who speaks to you through the scriptures. So I've got three parts of this message today, and kind of like all of these uh, sermons through this series, I'm not going to dwell a lot on just one particular story. Instead, we're going to kind of approach these topics um, thematically, but I've got three parts that we're going to be going through today. So we live in a skeptical age. Uh, I don't think I need to really spend a lot of time convincing uh, people that we live in an age of skepticism. You know, for me, it doesn't matter if someone tells me quite plainly, hey, it's snowing outside. Or they'll say, I think Coke is better than Pepsi. Like there's this voice inside of me that immediately wants to say, like, well, prove it. You know, like I don't prove it. I don't believe you. And and maybe maybe I'm not the only one who feels that way, who has that inner voice within you. Our society trains us to doubt everything. Now that's that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, it's it's good to ask questions. We should ask questions, especially here in the church. This should be a a safe place where we ask really hard questions. In fact, I would say that asking good questions is a sign of intelligence. It shows that you're paying attention. In fact, I would say that you you probably don't have a very strong, robust faith unless you have a healthy amount of of doubt that you've been interacting with uh, over the course of your walk. But I think that, that perhaps we've all witnessed, maybe even in our own hearts, those moments in which doubt itself begins to take a, a higher place than the pursuit of knowledge. You know what I mean? It's, it's like when that, that doubt within us sort of mutates and, and turns into scoffing. You know, it's, it's when there's an arrogance that comes along with the doubt. And it's no longer uh, the Bible or God who you're wrestling with. Instead, it's just merely your own clever rhetoric that you're impressed by. Or maybe you actually delight in just the wild goose chase itself of of doubt and questions. Now, again, it's okay to doubt. It's good to doubt. We should ask tough questions. But as a friend of mine likes to say, make sure you always doubt your doubt. We should always doubt doubt. Because here's the thing. When it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible is trustworthy. It's my first point. The Bible is trustworthy. So I want to I want to get a little nerdy here today, and and you know uh, I I hope it's okay to get a little geek out on the Bible a little bit here in church. We can do that, right? Uh, so we're gonna spend a minute doing this. So we know that the Bible is a really old ancient manuscript, right? Like it's really old, and it's really it's it's normal. It's it's common for people to ask, well, how reliable is this ancient book that we carry around with us? So I want to take a minute to kind of compare the, the New Testament uh, from the you know, first century writing to some other first century documents. So if you are, a, a, and bear with me here, I know we're, we're kind of diving into some Bible nerdery here, but bear with me. So if you are a first century historian, there's, there's certain authors that are, are kind of your go-to's. Namely, Josephus and Tacitus. And both of these are first century historians. And if you want to make sense of the ancient world, you read these guys. You want to see what they have to say. So how reliable do you think their works are? Well, Tacitus, he's a first century Roman historian, and he tells the stories of all the, the Roman emperors, Tiberius, Claudius, Nero, and several others. So he wrote in the first century, okay, So the earliest copy, the earliest manuscript that we have of him doesn't come on the scene until the 9th century. So that's, that's 800 years of gap that we have there. And then also, can you guess how many copies, how many ancient copies we have of his works? Only three. We only have three of these. And yet we consider him very reliable. Now Josephus, he's a first century Jewish historian, Josephus, he, he writes about the uh, Roman-Jewish uh, War uh, of 70 AD that you may have heard about. Uh, writes about a lot of things. Uh, basically, Josephus was uh, trying to tell the Greco-Roman world about the Jewish people. Well, the earliest writing, the earliest manuscript, the earliest copy that we have of Josephus' stuff is also 9th century. So again, 800 years after he's writing. Now, Josephus, he's in better shape. He's... We have about 133 copies of his. Awesome, that's a lot. Way to go. Good job, Josephus. You you stuck around. You did it. So what about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? The New Testament was also written in the first century. So the first full copy of the entire New Testament, the whole thing, the first copy that we have comes on the scenes in the fourth century. So that's just 300 years Uh, within uh, the actual writings. So much, much, much closer. And if we want to look at just pieces of the New Testament, it gets even cooler. We have pieces of the Gospel of John that date back all the way to the year 125. So that's just like a generation or two after the apostle himself. That's pretty cool. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, again, I'm a Bible nerd, as you might be able to tell here. (laughs) So how many copies, how many ancient copies of the New Testament do you think we have? More than three? More than 133? Well, the answer is actually we have 5,700 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. Thousands of them, literally thousands of them. They're all over the place. And if you want to know more about that kind of stuff, if, if this is like your cup of tea, I encourage you to pick up this book. It's Can, you Trust, can We Trust the Gospels? It's a great book. Uh, you can thumb through it a little bit up here. But that's really cool. So... Why is this so significant? Why is, why is Pastor Rick spending a lot of time talking about this? Because this, this Bible, this, this text that we read every Sunday, these are the texts that were actually read by the early church. These are what the early believers, the ancient church, actually died for. This is what men and, like, men and women left everything because of the stories that are in here. You can rest assured that these are the stories that were told by the apostles. You can rest assured that these are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Here we are, two millennia later, and we get to read these things. The Holy Spirit loves you so much that he has sought to make sure that Christ's words are available to you here today, now. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy. So the Barna Group, uh, this is a, a group that does a lot of research and studies, uh, they partnered together with the American Bible uh, Society, and they, they did this survey a little while ago, and one of the questions that they asked in this is, would politics, would politicians be more civil in their discourse, I know this is a big, you know, big hypothetical here, but would politicians be more civil in their discourse if they read the Bible more? Okay, interesting question. Now, among older generations, and what I mean by that is baby boomers and plus, uh, two-thirds of baby boomers and plus said, yes, politicians would be more civil if they read their Bible more often. Now, among young people, people, millennials and youngers, it's actually the exact opposite. Two-thirds of them, of young people, said it makes no difference if politicians were to read the Bible or not. Now, David Kinnaman, who's the president of Barna, he was shock, shocked to see that stark of a generational uh, divide because what this shows us is that people are they're kind of ambivalent or they're becoming more ambivalent. Our society is becoming more ambivalent about the Bible. They don't get the beauty that's in it. They don't see its relevance to modern life. Well, here's, here's the thing, the second thing that I like to say, is that the Bible is good. The Bible is good. It's beautifully good and it's it's wonderful. Why is this? Because the Bible is God's word written. It's of God. It comes from him. It's the breath of God. It's his word, it's his logic, it's his clarity, it's his reason, his grammar, his syntax. It's his order and it's written. It's accessible, it's available, it's delivered, it's given to you. The Bible is good because it's God's word revealed to you. God's word revealed to you. In fact, we see God's goodness on full display through the scriptures. We see his power and his ability to rescue his people through the exodus. We see God's justice on display in the law. We see his wisdom on display in the Proverbs. And we see his broken heart for his people on display in the prophets. You see, the Bible is beautiful and rich and good. But not just because it tells us about God, but there's something else to it as well. Leslie Newbigin, he's a, he's a scholar, he's a, he's a missionary to India, and he recounts this conversation that he had with a, an Indian friend of his who's a scholar. His name is Chaturvedi Badranath, and this man, his Hindu friend of his, is a scholar of world religions. Well, Leslie Newbigin remembers this conversation that he had with his friend, and his friend said this, He said, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. He says, it is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion here in India. We don't need any more. He says, I find your Bible to be a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of of the whole creation, the history of the human race, and therefore a unique interpretation of of the human person as a responsible actor in history. He says that is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world that puts along that puts it alongside itself or that stands beside it. So I think I think I see what he's saying here, right? I think we take some of this for granted. You see the Bible is the story of the whole universe. It's the story of everything. From creation to consummation, by his word, God created time and all that is written in it. By his word, he will bring all things to a close. And furthermore, the Bible tells us that we, men and women, are meant to be the stewards of creation. We're to be his royalty among the earth. But something obviously goes horribly wrong. We rebel against him. We rebel against our creator. We try to put ourselves in the place of God. But yet God, in his abundant love for us, came down himself in the person of Jesus Christ and inaugurated his kingdom. He healed the sick. He restored the outcast. And he even forgives sins. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ broke the bonds of death itself. The Bible is good because it reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, That whoever believes in him will not die, but will have everlasting life. So my family early on experienced uh, quite a bit of tragedy uh, in our life. And I'm not going to go into the details of that tragedy uh, today. But I remember in the wake of that, uh, there were some pretty big um, changes that happened. Uh, My mom met another man who uh, introduced her to Jesus. They got married. He became my adoptive father. That's another awesome story uh, to tell. And I did ask my mom for permission to share this story. Um, But my mom's life began to change pretty radically. I remember that every day I would walk downstairs and I'd pour myself some Cap'n Crunch, because that's what I did in those days. And there would be mom sitting at the dining room table with her nose in a Bible. And she'd often have a journal right beside her, and she'd be journaling her thoughts and her prayers and insights that the Lord had been showing her. And I could see that this was transforming her life. It was changing her countenance. It was changing the way in which she spoke to me. And then she started to do something that kind of rattled me a little bit. Uh, She started to share what she was learning with me. And I remember one day she opened up Psalm 68 to me. It says that, A father to the fatherless is God in his holy. I said, I'm not going to cry today, but, you know, here we go. (laughs) A father to the fatherless is God in his holy habitation. And like a sword thrust through my soul, the word of God pierced my heart. You know, and as a kid, I tried to play it off. You know, I'd be like, yeah, that's nice, mom. You know, that's cool, whatever. But my soul was transforming. I was encountering the Lord Christ. I knew that there was a Father in heaven who sees me, who knows my heart, my hurt, who loves me unconditionally. You see, friends, the Bible also transforms lives. This isn't just an old trustworthy book. This isn't just a good book of awesome stories. This is the the tool in which the Holy Spirit reaches down and touches our hearts and transforms our lives. It is the breath of God speaking to us speaking to us. You can hear from God through this scripture. Don't you just love that story of the Emmaus Road that Christopher read for us today? That wasn't going to be originally a reading, but I, I I heard it yesterday at a teaching that we were at, and I was like, oh man, we have to read that. This is a beautiful, beautiful story. And we don't have time, obviously, to go into all of it. I love that this is a story, not just about these disappointed disciples who are just walking around the road, kicking dirt, But this is the story of every single Christian. Every one of us has been on that Emmaus road. Every one of us knows exactly what it's like to be disappointed, to be filled with hopelessness, to be confused, to have anger that just totally controls us, to be mad at the world and everything. And then Christ starts to walk among us, quietly, calmly, opening the scriptures up to us, revealing himself to us, revealing himself to us through the word and and also through the breaking of the bread, which that's next week's sermon. Come back for that. But what Jesus does is he points back through our past. He reminds us of the things that have been going on in our past. And he says, I've been with you since the beginning. I was there all the time through this. And it's Christ who's been steering us to this moment so that we can see the power of his resurrection, that he's the one who conquered death and walks besides us. He is the Messiah who comes and gives us life. Did not our hearts burn within us, the disciples say. Jesus Christ, through his word, transforms lives. So beloved of Christ, as your pastor, as your spiritual father, I implore you, immerse yourself in the word of God. Soak yourself in the word of God. Be masters of the word of God. There's so many ways to do this. Uh, We we have these morning prayer booklets back at the welcome table. They look like this. These are basically scripture arranged for prayer. And then we've got reading plans that are in the back of this. It'll take you through the whole Bible in in the year. Grab one of those things. And if that's a challenge to you, if you're like, man, that's a lot, Rick, then... then, Write down verses on, on note cards, hide them around your house, stick them in your car, put them in your mirror. I think that's kind of what, what the, our Old Testament reading was getting at, right? The Lord wants us to be surrounded and immersed with scriptures. And if even that's hard to you, come to church. Come here with us where we, where we read lots of scripture on a Sunday morning, where we walk through these stories and we talk about how these 2,000-year-old stories have relevance and meaning to us today. Come to church. Be here. Immerse yourself in large chunks of scripture. Fall in love with the Bible, friends. Because this isn't just a book. This isn't just an old book. This is the Lord God calling out to you. This is the Lord God declaring his love to you. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is good. And the Bible transforms lives. Please pray with me. Lord God, you are not a silent God. You do not stand by and ignore your people, but you speak to us. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through the Holy Scriptures. Word of God, speak to us, please. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.